before this, I don't know that I was even, I don't know if I was even a fraction as mindful as I should have been of the depth of brokenness that the people in our church made me experiencing. And so I pray, Lord, that today, as I speak, these would not be my words as unprepared as I may be for what people need, but they would truly be um, born out of you and caused by your Holy Spirit, that they would be beneficial to those who are hurting today. And Lord, ultimately, I pray that you would point us all to the tremendous hope that we have in you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 13, in verses 1 and 2, says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Good times fly by. You ever notice that? Good times fly by. You remember summer vacation? When you were a kid, you would wake up the first day of summer vacation and you'd say, I have time to do everything now. And it's no time at all before your parents are taking you out to buy new clothes. And you're like, we are doing this already? Like this is, and then you're just back. And the older that you get, the faster that goes. Some of you are in college right now, and you know, like summer break just gets shorter and shorter and shorter. Um, periods of happiness. The honeymoon period. When you first get married, we have some married couples in here. Um, the day of my, it sounds like the Godfather, the day of my wedding. Um, but the day that Trish and I got married, which is 10 years ago, um, we had a lot of people who were at our wedding, and I was super excited. I woke up that morning, I'm smiling, I'm super happy, and every single person it felt like that I talked to that day would be like, congratulations on your wedding and on your marriage. It's going to get so hard. You have no idea how hard it's going to get. But but by your second or third marriage, you will understand. You will understand. I literally had somebody say something like that to me. Um, and I was like, no. You know, that's not going to happen. I love my wife. We truly get along. And it's, you know, for weeks, months, it was like that. It was awesome. And then, and then it just kind of stops. Your stops like throw something at you or something. And you're just like, oh, I guess. The honeymoon's over, you know? And you're lucky if it's not a ring. If it's a ring, that's sad. Um, Christmas, for me, is huge. I, I didn't like it as much when I was a kid. I liked it about as much as a kid likes it, I guess. But um, the older I get, now that I'm a dad and stuff, I really enjoy the holiday season. I really enjoy that time between, like, July and Christmas. Um, and... And every year, it just feels like it gets shorter and shorter and shorter. And some of you are probably like, that's good. That's good. I hate Christmas, but 
Do you know who else hates Christmas? Satan. <laughs> <laughs> Those good times, they go really fast. They go really fast. But the bad times, oh man, those feel like they last forever. I've been accused in the past of going from like telling a joke and people are laughing to immediately taking them to a place that's a little harder. That's just me. I'm all over the place, so there's no reason why my sermon shouldn't be. Um, so let me just warn you beforehand. Um, but it is really hard to walk in a season of darkness for an extended period of time. And some of you in this room are there. Some of you in this room have been living with chronic and debilitating illness for months or years. Your, your quality of life has gone down while your pain continues to increase. Some of you in this room have been in a relationship or a marriage for years. It's not one that's defined by love. It's not one that's defined by service to one another. And it's hard. Some of you in this room have lost loved ones. And maybe it was a year ago or maybe it was five years ago. And by five years, you're expected to have it all together. You're expected to be okay. And so you have to okay. But inside, you feel the depth of pain that nobody around you seems to be aware of, that you're afraid to share. Some of you in this room, possibly, suffer from mental illness. And you live in such a way that you're ashamed, you hide that asset of your life. You feel guilt because you don't feel the way that other people feel or think the way that other people think. And it feels like it's going on forever. For some of you, it's not this really one big thing that just goes on for a very long time. For some of you, you're going through a season or have been through a season where the repeated pains of life are coming against you in such a way that every time you start to think that you're feeling better or that things are getting better, you're knocked down again. It's just a continual thud, thud, thud of life pounding against you in the past. How long is this going to take? Now, see, there's a few different ways that we can respond to this type of pain. What do you do? Are you, are you the type of person that just says, I don't... I'm not hurting. I'm 
not really having a hard time right now. You just kind of do your best John Wayne impression whenever life comes against you, comes against you. And you know, it's just like, oh, life gives you lemons, make whiskey, or whatever John Wayne says or sounds like. I don't know personally. Maybe you think your skin is a little thicker than than everybody else's. And maybe that's true. But it's still skin. It still has a breaking point. And then on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, you have some people who are probably a little more like me. And so we can all start a group after this. But are the ones who, as soon as that pain has gone on for any period of time, you immediately throw up your hands and say, I am done. I can't handle another day of this. God obviously does not love me. He does not care about me. I should just give up and die. Right? Some of you are laughing because you're like, I do that over like my cell phone dying halfway through the day. Um, Right? I know these people. But what is David? We don't know exactly what Psalm 13 is about, did you know that? We just know that he's hurting. We just know that he's been hurting for a while, but we don't know the circumstances of the exact event that's brought him here. But how does he respond? We know that his pain is deep, we know that it's great, we know that it's been going on for a while. Does David simply say, I am completely unaffected by this? I'm tough. I kill a bear with my hands. It's like I can handle everything that life throws at me. <clears throat> does he say, I'm, I'm just going to give up. I can't do this anymore. No. What does he do? He gets real with God. Some of you in this room have not gotten real with God for some time. Some of you in this room have not gotten real with God for some time. Maybe your prayers happen when bad things occur or when you're going through a period of darkness. But your prayer is one that's filled with fear, and a holding back. One that comes before God and says, you know, if you're, if you're willing to change this aspect of my life, of my circumstances, that would be nice. You know, but only, only if you want to. Why is your mouth saying that when your heart is screaming, before they finally begin to see Jesus for who he truly is because they're, they're 20 or they're 30 or they're 40 now. How long until you save them? How, how long must I live with this illness? How long must I completely be brought down by life, never getting a chance to catch my breath? How long am I going to turn on the TV 
and see and have to see 10 or 20 or 50 people made in the image of God being mowed down by a man. How long? Let me, let me tell you something. Today's Father's Day. Let me tell you something about your Father, our Father. You will say nothing that will break Him. He does not despise your questioning. Did you know that? And maybe some of you have been taught you do not question God. God does not despise your questioning. God doesn't despise your accusations. He's not afraid of them. He's not afraid of the depth of your emotions. He is a good father. And there are some of us in here who are afraid that if we say the wrong thing to God in the wrong way, that we will in some way, shape, or form be dishonoring Him. But do you know what dishonors God? When we come before Him and we keep empty words on His lap, when we don't bring before Him the truest version of ourselves. Any of you who were raised in church have heard the song, Trust and Obey. Some of you are familiar with that one. Trust and obey, trust and obey. For there's no greater way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. The trust and obeying that the Bible calls us to is not a trusting and obeying that is completely empty, just mindless. I will do whatever God says I should do. Let me tell you about trusting and obeying. Trusting God in prayer is when you trust that He loved you enough for you to bring before Him a broken and contrite spirit. It's when you obey Him in presenting to Him the truest version of yourself rather than praying around what you're really feeling and who you really are. And just to reiterate, that's going to be hard for some of you. Because maybe your whole life has been taught, keep that stuff inside, don't show. Don't show how broken you really are. Don't bother. Don't bother God with your persistent lament. Let me tell you something about bothering God, something about his patience, okay? You could, at this moment, cry out to God. And tell him, how long am I going to have to sit in this situation? How long am I going to have to sit in this place? And then do the same thing an hour from now. And then do it again an hour from now. Not because you think that saying it a whole bunch of times is going to like change his mind, but because that's the genuine state of your heart. And you can say it and repeat it every hour of every day for a billion years. You will not have scratched the surface of his patience. You will not have scratched the surface of his infinite patience. Verses 3 and 4. Let's read together. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. 
Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So the psalmist now moves from crying out to God, pure emotion, almost a primal how, how, how long, how long, how long, to now be shifting into petition. When we lament, we can bring our truest self before God, but we also reach out to Him in request that He would change the situation that is bringing this darkness upon us. There is a petition that's made to Him as Father, but also as King, trusting that God is truly the only one who is able to change this situation. And once again, this can be hard. Let me tell you what a good father likes. Or, or is like, rather. And he's not going to like it. Okay? Um, but my father. This is the kind of man who, first of all, let me marry his daughter. Which is huge, right? Um, not only let me marry that, but watch me do a lot of stupid things. And to be frankly honest, like most parents, watch all of these kids do stupid things at different points. But if I were to go to that man because I lost all of my clothes because I sold them to get cigarettes at some point, which is something I would have done, and he had one shirt, and I asked for it, he'd take it off his back and he'd get it to me. And if somebody had broken down on the top of, uh, of Mount Lennon in the middle of the night and needed help, he wouldn't chide him. He wouldn't tell him that he was doing something and couldn't at the moment. He wouldn't question. What would he do? He'd get in his truck and he'd drive up and he'd help him. That's what a good father looks like. And let's be honest. Some of us grew up with less than good fathers. Some of your dads went and you asked him for help. And if you're sitting on his lazy boy watching TV, the answer was go ask him. Some of your dads you went to with petition and you were told, you're asking me too much. Once I give you my answer, I am done. You're done. Right? I've done that to my kids. God is a good father. All the time. Take what I said about my father-in-law at Times that by infinity. Okay? The type of father who, when you don't ask, is hurt. You ever know a man like that? Where your car's been broke down for a week and they don't know about it and you let them know and they say, why haven't you talked to me? If you needed help, why didn't you reach out to me? That's the way our Father approaches our petitions. He's not sitting there going, oh, that's a good petition, that's a bad petition. You're asking for the right thing and the wrong thing. I'm going to punish you for asking the wrong thing and for asking too much. No. He's asking you as his children. We can come up with all kinds of stupid questions for God and all kinds of stupid petitions. And in his infinite patience and love, he welcomes those. 
He doesn't chide and scorn and turn you away. The exact opposite. If you don't ask him, who in the world are you asking? David comes before the Lord, and you can almost hear an air of childness to some extent. In his voice, if you really break it down, I'm going to die. Father, I'm going to die. I need you to light up my eyes. I need you to save me from the, the sleep of death. I need you to save me from that. Because if you don't, if I die, then my enemies are going to win. Then they're going to be proud in the fact that I've been defeated and you won't receive worship. They'll worship themselves for what they did to me and for winning over me. Save me. And we know from David's life, and we know from the events that occurred in David's life, that God answered that prayer. He answered that prayer multiple times. Like a good father does. And sometimes the answer is no. We know that because that's what a good father does too. Sometimes the answer is no. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. Um, but let's let's finish out verses five and six. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. How many of you in this room like to sleep with all the lights off? Raise your hand. Complete darkness. How many, how many of you sleep with a little bit of light? I'm a real man, see? So I sleep in total darkness when my wife is there. And when she's not, I don't sleep at all. Um, <laughs> I don't sleep at all. My my oldest son is the only one who uh, Amador, do you know? Um, he's the only one who really enjoys having a night. And we went through we've gone through a couple. Um, they're broken over the years, but he always has needed that little that little bit of light. And now I'm going to leave the bathroom door cracked open a little bit. It was shining bright into the room. Um, it's amazing, isn't it? That's a little, that's a little light usually in the nighttime. In an incredibly dark place. But for any of you who have children, you know that that, that little light is enough oftentimes to, to quell their fears and get them through into the morning. That little light is enough. And David here at the end of Psalm 13, some scholars and commentators of this portion of Scripture would say this is a change in circumstance. I don't believe that it is. I believe David is still very much in the same place. He's still saying how long. He's still petitioning the Lord for, uh, for salvation, for life. But at the end, he's saying, he's saying praise. I trust 
rejoice in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And sometimes in this life, in the midst of the incredible darkness that we're walking through from a variety of different places, the only light that you and I have to cling to is the truth and power of the gospel. What Jesus has done for us. The salvation that God has bought for us. Sometimes that's all we have. Sometimes we need that, that light. And you say, well, that's a big light. Yeah, but sometimes in the darkness, it feels like a little light. It feels like that little bit about what you know about Jesus is the only thing getting you through. But it will get you through. Just like that nightlight is enough light to get you through. The gospel and our understanding of God's tremendous love for us and the future that we have with him is enough light to carry us through the darkness and into the morning. And some of you might, might, might hear that. Some of you in here are going to ask that how long question of God. How long? How long? And the answer is going to be every day for the rest of your life. Some of you in this room are going to call out to God in the midst of your deepest, darkest moment and say, don't let me lose the light from my eyes. Don't let me sleep the sleep of death. And you will. And you gotta ask yourself, what, what kind of person in their right mind would submit themselves to that? What kind of person in their right mind would submit themselves to that kind of pain, that kind of suffering, knowing that their final breath in this life is gonna be one of absolute horrific and terrible pain? Who would submit themselves to that? His name is Jesus. Who the book of Hebrews tells us, for the joy set before him endured the cross. He looked in the face of a life that would end in suffering, knowing that on the other side, there was tremendous joy to be found let me tell you something about your suffering, okay? Your suffering has an expiration date. But you do not. And as followers of Jesus, I can make you this promise that your suffering will extend for a lifetime, but it will go no further. To keep in mind, as Christians, as, as you suffer, that on the other side of this, there is joy. Should I never taste another drop of the kingdom in this life because the darkness has been brought upon me, then I release on the other side of this, there is joy. And I pray, God, that that's not the case for you. Because if it is, stick to that. Cling to that. Cling to the eternity that you have set with God in communion 
completely loved, completely known, completely cared for, completely filled with joy forever. Hold on to that. In the midst of your darkest times, look to the cross because Jesus did. And he asked himself, is it worth it? And the answer was a resounding yes. It is worth it. So let us, as we respond today, remember the words of David, regardless of whatever situation you are in right now, regardless of whatever place you're in, uh, let's respond like this. Let's sing to the Lord. Because we know that through Jesus, He's dealt bountifully with us. Let's pray.